0: Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. He'd worry about her murder later. First, he needed to identify her. This is Method and Madness, episode 51 Princess Doe Has a Name. I'm your host, Dawn Gandhi. Blairstown, residents could count on the chime of the ice cream truck as it rolled down their historic main street, past the Falls, past the Old Mill, and past Brandigan's Pharmacy. It was the summer of 1982 in the town named after 19th century entrepreneur John Inslee Blair. The date was Thursday, July 15, 1982, in the town located in Warren County, New Jersey nestled in the Kittatinny Valley. Residents and visitors relished in the old-timey feel of the shops and restaurants. It was only two years earlier that Blair's town had made its mark on the cinematic map, with scenes from the original Friday the 13th filmed there. Roy's Hall, the town's theater, opened in 1913, and patrons would pay 11 to 17 cents to watch The Talkies, make their debut in the 1930s. That theater would go on to do regular showings of Friday the 13th to celebrate the town's fame. Located minutes away from the Pennsylvania border, at the address 117 Route 94 was a posted white sign with black writing, Cedar Ridge Cemetery, Incorporated, November 19th, 1889. Resident George Kice was there early that morning to report for work. He walked the grounds, going about his duties, with the trickle of the nearby stream, the only thing, breaking the still silence at 7.30 a.m. A steep embankment overlooked the stream with a wooded area that offered shade for breaks from grave digging. And it was there on that morning where George found a dead body. It was that of a white female with a red short-sleeved v-neck shirt and a red and white printed peasant-style wraparound skirt with peacocks on the bottom border. A gold necklace with small white beads and a 14-carat gold cross hung around her neck. She had red nail polish on her right hand and none on her left. There were no undergarments found on her, nor were there any in the immediate area, and she was barefoot. She had been brutally beaten, her face left unrecognizable, and her skull shattered. And it was apparent that she had put up a hell of a fight. Let's dive in. It's impossible to say how many missing people there are in the United States at any given time. In a perfect world, all who are missing, regardless of age, would be searched for immediately, taken seriously by law enforcement, entered into a database, and located as soon as possible. In reality, some people are never reported missing in the first place. Lieutenant Eric Kranz of the Blairstown Police Department was the first to respond to the scene at Cedar Ridge Cemetery on July 15, 1982, accompanied by members of the Warren County Prosecutor's Office and New Jersey State Police. It was tough to determine much about the unknown victim at the time, who had been discarded in a concealed area of trees and brush. A thorough examination by a medical examiner would be done to estimate her age, her time of death, her cause of death. The next day, July 16th, an autopsy was conducted by Dr. Graciela Linares, Assistant New Jersey State Medical Examiner at the Edwin Albino Institute of Forensic Science. He determined that the cause of death was blunt trauma to the face and head with multiple fractures, and the manner of death was homicide. It appeared that the murder weapon could be a bat or metal pipe, but none was located at the scene. The victim had been so brutally beaten that her eye color could not be identified. No exact time or date of death could be determined, but it was possible she'd been killed two to three days prior, maybe even up to a week before her body was discovered. It was estimated at the time she was between the ages of 14 and 18. The case was officially a homicide investigation. Blairstown Police Department, the New Jersey State Police, and the Warren County Prosecutor's Office launched an investigation, but they had their work cut out for them. There was no identification on or near the victim's body. So who was she? That would be the question that would haunt investigators and the community of Blairstown for decades. It was Lieutenant Eric Kranz that gave the victim a name. He said, I got tired of writing the name Jane Doe. There are a million Jane Doe's. I just wanted to give her some personality, some identity. That's why I named her Princess Doe. She was probably somebody's princess along the way. Kranz was a veteran cop and had solved every homicide case that came across his desk. A father of two young children, he desperately wanted to find Princess Doe's family, and he said, I'll worry about the murder later on. My main concern is finding out who she is. It was a promise he made that he'd make sure she was identified and remembered. Perhaps fittingly, one of the top songs on the charts that week was Patrice Rushen's Forget-Me-Nots. During the autopsy, fingerprints were taken of Princess Doe. They were then checked through the Records and Identification Section of the New Jersey State Police and taken to the Federal Bureau of Investigation in Washington, D.C. There, the fingerprints were checked against the National Fingerprint File of Criminal, Civil, and Military Records. But nothing came back as a positive match. Dental charts and x rays of Princess Doe's teeth were prepared by Dr. Haskell Askin, forensic odontologist. This would be used when comparing dental records of either current or future reported missing persons. Princess Doe had visited a dentist at least once in her life, as four fillings were present. Her blood type was O. She still had her appendix and tonsils and had never given birth. It was unknown if there were drugs or alcohol in her system and unknown if she had been sexually assaulted. A composite sketch was created, a depiction of what Princess Doe possibly looked like based on the shape of her skull and of some hair found at the scene. Flyers were created and distributed nationwide, And as technology improved, so did the flyers. One of them read, Unidentified Teen Murder Victim Found July 15, 1982, Blairstown, New Jersey. Who is Princess Doe? The physical description of Princess Doe was listed as Estimated 14 to 18 years old, 5 foot 2 inches tall and 105 pounds, Caucasian with brown hair, wearing a 14 karat gold cross around her neck. The bottom of the flyer urged anyone with information to contact the Warren County, New Jersey Medical Examiner's Office or the Prosecutor's Office. All missing person files were reviewed to see if anyone matched the description of Princess Doe. She was erased, Lieutenant Kranz would later say. Her assailant erased her. There was nothing left to her. Whoever did this, did it with a vengeance. Three weeks into the investigation, he did what reporters would call at the time unusual. Kranz took the clothing, the red shirt and skirt, out of the evidence file and put the clothing onto a mannequin. He was bringing Princess Doe to life as best he could, his hopes high that this visual would lead to someone recognizing her and coming forward. A Blairstown resident saw a photo of the dressed mannequin in the local paper and knew she had seen the teen recently. She went to the police immediately. Two days before Princess Doe's body was found, Anne, a nurse, had been grocery shopping at the local A&P with her six-year-old daughter. Anne was certain that while there, they saw the victim. The a and was located right across the street from the cemetery, and Anne recalled that while shopping, she saw a young woman in a unique skirt and wanted to ask where she got it from. She never got that chance, and that was the last she saw of the young woman. Detectives followed up with employees at the grocery store, checking purchase records, credit card records, but it was a dead end. Nurse Anne underwent hypnotism to see if she could remember anything else from her brief encounter at the A&P, but nothing came of it. Another local, Irene, saw the reports in the local paper and visited the police station. She was afraid that Princess Doe might be her own daughter, who she hadn't heard from in weeks. When she saw the mannequin and looked closely at the necklace, she was alarmed at how much it resembled one that her daughter owned. But fortunately. Irene found her daughter weeks later, safe and sound, in Florida. Other leads poured in, and Lieutenant Krantz followed up on each and every one, hundreds of them that had come in in the four months since Princess Doe was discovered. That fall, he contacted every school in New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania, and parts of New York, and asked for a list of students that didn't return from summer break. He'd carried flyers to businesses, gas stations. He showed anyone he came across the picture of the mannequin dressed in Princess Doe's clothing. No garbage can or dumpster along Route 94 was left unturned. It wasn't a case for him, he said. It was a person and a passion. When the leads and tips began to dwindle, Lieutenant Kranz commissioned a full- body composite of Princess doe and released that to the press. He and the other members of the investigative team were hesitant to bury Princess Doe. Kranz said, quote, "I kept her for as long as I could because I wanted to be able to give her back to her parents so they could bury her in a familiar geography. But it didn't work out that way." on january twenty second, nineteen eighty three, Citizens of Blairstown, New Jersey came together thanks to fundraising efforts by Lieutenant Eric Kranz and paid to give Princess Doe a proper funeral. Flowers were donated and the Newbaker Funeral Home donated a casket and arranged for the service. Reverend Peter Ammerman and Lieutenant Kranz delivered the eulogy. The cemetery was covered in snow that day and about 50 locals attended the service. A hearse carried the casket, and Princess Doe was buried about 75 feet from where her body was found. Locals said they just wanted her to have a decent burial, and teared up as they spoke about how someone out there must be looking for her. Her rectangular headstone read, Princess Doe, missing from home, dead among strangers, remembered by all born, question mark, found July 15th, 1982. In June of 1983, Princess Doe became the first unidentified person whose case was registered in the FBI's missing persons database. And thanks to the passion of the investigators and the townsfolk, the case made headlines nationwide. With thousands of Jane and John Doe's listed in national databases, It was Kranz's drive and creativity that got the case attention. He said, I think she symbolizes people found without or with little identification. She has become a symbol. Kranz teamed up with commercial artist Frank Bender to create a bust of Princess Doe. You may remember that Frank Bender, a few years later, would create an uncanny bust of what family annihilator John List would look like 18 years after he went on the run. That bust was featured on America's Most Wanted and was a crucial tool. It ultimately led to a neighbor of List's phoning in a tip. Photos and measurements of Princess Doe's skull were used as a reference, and Frank, working with an anthropologist, pathologist, and forensic dental expert, imagined her with a long face, square jawline, and thick, brown, shoulder-length hair parted down the middle. Although her eye color was unknown, Frank gave her hazel eyes. Pages on the calendar turned, more missing person files were dropped into inboxes, and investigators clung to hope that something would turn up. Someone would give Princess Doe a name. One of those files prompted a sharp debate. In August 1984, a similarity was pointed out between the descriptions of Princess Doe and that of a missing teen from San Jose, California. Diane Dye had run away from home in 1979 at the age of 13. That would have made her 16 years old around the time that Princess Doe had been murdered the Warren County Prosecutor's Office called a press conference in 1985 announcing that Princess Doe could be Diane Dye, but others weren't so sure. Lieutenant Krantz, along with dental experts and the California Department of Justice, reportedly rejected the notion based on several findings. One was the dental records that didn't match up, and two, Diane Dye had fractured her arm at the age of five, whereas Princess Doe had no signs of such an injury, according to x-rays taken at autopsy. Kranz grew frustrated and felt that the announcement by the prosecutor's office was due to pressure from the public to identify the victim. Warren County Prosecutor Howard McGinn stuck to his statement that the victim was likely Diane Dye, even receiving criticism for not budging on it despite the evidence. Eventually, the theory that Princess Doe was Diane Dye was officially ruled out, and Lt. Kranz left the police department and went on to work for the Foundation to find and protect American children. Other possibilities trickled in, and of course, so did the theories. Lt. Kent Bergman of the Warren County Prosecutor's Office said that investigators were making plans to go out to Texas to question serial killer Henry Lee Lucas, who was on death row. Could Princess Doe have been a victim of a local man named John Reese, who, in 1987, murdered his neighbor Elizabeth Cornish in the nearby town of Belvedere, New Jersey? Could Princess Doe be a local sex worker, or was a local police officer responsible for her murder, which is why the crime still hadn't been solved? Was she a victim of serial killer Joel Rifkin? While each theory was looked at and scrutinized, none were substantiated. As years became decades and nobody had come forward to identify Princess Doe, the community in and around Blairstown kept her memory alive, caring for her grave, leaving flowers, and continuing to utilize the media. Look at the photos of the clothing she was wearing when her body was discovered. The dress is described as a wraparound peasant dress. She was also wearing this red blouse. And take a good look at this cross
1: Princess Doe had hanging around her neck. Now, over the years, there have been several
0: composites made of what Princess Doe might have looked like. The case was featured on America's Most Wanted in 2012, and there were documentaries and books, but no positive identification. Detective Lieutenant Stephen Spears had taken over the case in 1998 and joined the Blairstown community in pushing for answers. It seemed no avenue was ignored. No piece of evidence was too small. The skirt found on Princess Doe had a label on it a faded one, but it was enough to trace to the manufacturer, which was located in the Midwest. The skirt was sold at several stores, one of them in Long Island. By the late 90s, investigators had reason to believe Princess Doe may be from the Long Island area, but they weren't saying why. In 1999, with advancements in forensic technology, Princess Doe was exhumed and DNA taken to help identify her. Trace evidence from her remains could potentially find her killer. The DNA collected would be retested over the years as the technology continued to advance. Using a CT scan of her skull, the Smithsonian Institute produced a new composite. By the 30th anniversary in 2012, Blairstown residents and investigators were hopeful as they gathered for a reunion at the Cedar Ridge Cemetery. Warren County Prosecutor Richard Burke said, quote, There's an old axiom in investigative work where basically the feeling is that the more the time goes on, the less of an opportunity you have to identify somebody. We actually feel the opposite in this case. More forensics tests were done, including isotope analysis, which uses isotopes found in human hair as markers to indicate a region of the country someone lived in. Drinking the local water or certain nutrients in food can provide a forensic profile. The conclusion of this test indicated that Princess Doe may have spent time in Arizona, but investigators had that evidence that linked her to Long Island, New York. The 30th anniversary passed, and so did the 35th, and Princess Doe remained at the forefront of the Blairstown community. Only now, they had the additional resources of social media, taking to Facebook to remind the public that their Doe was still unidentified. Residents would commiserate, reminisce in the comment sections on how they still remembered that hot summer day in 1982 like it was yesterday. On May 19, 2021, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children contacted the Warren County Prosecutor's Office. They offered to cover the financial cost of having the DNA retested in order to develop a genealogical profile. It was this method that led to the identification, arrest, and ultimate conviction of the East Area Rapist, or Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo. Whose reign of terror from 1974 to 1986 resulted in at least 13 murders and several sexual assaults? Could that technology, as controversial as it may be, help in identifying an unknown victim? Astria Forensics accepted and agreed to perform a new extraction and DNA profile. A genealogical profile was created which led to a man. He confirmed his sister had gone missing in 1982 in Long Island. Other family members provided DNA samples, and then, on April 29, 2022, nearly 40 years after her murder, Princess Doe was identified. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that mental health and self-care are taking more of a front seat these days. Therapy has helped me when I felt overwhelmed and needed to sort some things out. Maybe you're feeling more stressed lately or like you're struggling with work or personal relationships. However you're feeling, you deserve to be happy and to know that there is no shame in therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy. In under 48 hours, you could be communicating with a therapist by phone, live chat, or video if you're comfortable. Now is a good time to invest in yourself and see what online therapy is all about. And special offer to Method and Madness listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com. Slash method and madness. That's betterhelp.com slash method and madness. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode.
2: Hey guys, I just want to tell you a little bit about Love and Murder podcast. Love and Murder is your weekly true crime podcast telling cases of relationships gone horribly wrong. Each case we tell you is told with mystery, suspense, and just a little bit of humor sprinkled on top. But never at the expense of the victim. Listen to Love and Murder podcast hosted by me, Kai, and Rick anywhere you get your podcast www.murderandlove.com. That's love and murder backwards, murderandlove.com. On July 15th,
0: 2022, the Warren County Prosecutor's Office issued a press release identifying Princess Doe, and they held a press conference. Now retired, Lieutenant Kranz was in attendance. It was exactly 40 years to the day that her body had been found, and fittingly, one of the top songs that week was Lizzo's About Damn Time. Dawn Olanick was a 17-year-old from Long Island, New York, and had completed her junior year of high school in Connequot Central School District. She had been living with her mother and sister, but one day, she left home and never returned. Born August 5, 1964, she was only weeks from her 18th birthday when she was murdered. Dawn had lived in the West Babylon and Bohemia areas of Long Island, and by all accounts, she was never on anyone's radar as a possible match to Princess Doe. There are no available records indicating she was ever reported missing. Dawn's brother told police that his sister had been told to leave home back in 1982. With Dawn identified, the residents of Blairstown were overcome with emotion that the girl they'd adopted as their own finally had a name. Residents all over New Jersey were in tears. The day they'd waited for, for 40 years, had come. So, with photos of Dawn now released, how similar was she in appearance to the bust created by Frank Bender? the one provided by the Smithsonian, the sketches, the photos of Diane Dye, that had some officials convinced was Princess Doe. Dawn Olenek was very pretty. In photos, she's seen with brown hair, brown eyes, and a warm smile. While one photo shows her with curly hair and bangs, other photos, which look like school pictures, show that trendy women's hairstyle of 1982— That feathered bang look, the style made iconic by Farrah Fawcett, which seems to be a detail missed by artists putting together sketches and busts. Those renderings depicted Princess Doe with straight hair parted down the middle. But with the condition Dawn was left in, discarded in that cemetery, the creators of those composites had to make educated guesses. As you'll remember, her face was unrecognizable. As for Diane Dye, She and Dawn do resemble each other in hairstyle and face shape. Diane has still not been found. During that 40th anniversary press release, investigators had another bombshell. They revealed that they'd received a written confession from Dawn's killer in 2005. Arthur Kinlaw had already been convicted of two other first-degree murders, unrelated to Princess Doe, and was serving a sentence in Sullivan County, New York. Despite his written confession, investigators remained tight-lipped until they had a positive identification of the victim and could build a case. Until then, they had no physical evidence to go off of and nothing to connect Princess Doe to Arthur Kinlaw. Here is a statement by Warren County prosecutors. On May 5, 2005, a written letter was received from Arthur Kinlaw, an inmate at the Sullivan Correctional Facility, Riverside Drive, Fallsburg, New York. Arthur Kinlaw indicated that he wished to be interviewed and confessed to the murder of the unidentified female that was found in Blairstown Township, Warren County, New Jersey, in 1982. A formal statement was taken by Lt. Spears of the Warren County Prosecutor's Office and Detective Howard Brown of the NJSP Troop B Criminal Investigations Office. Mr. Kinlaw had previously written an affidavit of facts pertaining to the murder which he provided. Mr. Kinlaw stated that he was physically responsible for the death of the unidentified female found in the cemetery in Blairstown, New Jersey. Investigators say he had tried to lure Dawn into sex work, but she had refused. Arthur Kinlaw, who police identified as a, quote, pimp, and his wife, Donna, were reportedly running a prostitution ring in Suffolk County, New York, in the 80s and 90s. By 1998, an informant provided police with information about an unsolved 14-year-old murder case. so. How did this all lead to a confession by Dawn's killer? Let's break it down. In 1984, a body had washed up in the East River of New York. The victim was a woman with short black hair, dressed in a ripped blouse and jeans. She had been bludgeoned to death and suffocated. When found, her hands were tied behind her back and pieces of her blouse had been shoved down her throat. Without much evidence, the murder went unsolved for more than a decade and the victim was never identified. Police said she was probably of Italian-American origin and may have lived with her grandmother in either Brentwood or Bayshore, Long Island. The kinlaws met the victim at a club and befriended her with the motive of getting her to work for them as a sex worker. When she refused and threatened to go to the police, the couple killed her. Fourteen years later, this informant came forward with details about the crime and provided a six-page witness statement. Donna and Arthur Kinlaw were then charged with first-degree murder in 1998. Donna Kinlaw then cooperated with police, turning against her husband. She said that the East River victim was a teenager that she knew only as Linda. Linda has, to this day, never been formally identified. A 1999 article in Newsday provided more info on Dawn's alleged murderer. Donna Kinlaw worked for her husband, Arthur, as a sex worker for 19 years, and the couple had nine children together. They were living a life of crime, theft, welfare fraud. Facing murder charges in the late 90s, Donna cooperated with a New York City cold case squad and said that her husband was responsible for several murders. She recalled that in 1983, while living in Bellport, Long Island, the couple took in a boarder to help pay their bills. The boarder was an obese woman, she said, either black or Hispanic, and she required metal crutches to help her walk. One night while at home, the unidentified woman and Arthur got into a fight, and shortly after, Donna saw the woman lying dead on the floor. Arthur then dragged the woman's body out of the house and buried her in the backyard. Later, to conceal his crime, he constructed a concrete patio over her grave. With the help of Donna Kinlaw's witness statement, police in 1999 located the body of the woman, the border, buried under a hastily made patio. The current residents had no idea what was in their yard. The victim has still not been identified and is listed on the Doe network as a black female who, at the time of her murder, was between the age of 25 and 45, 5'7 and 300 pounds. And now, that brings us to that link that had detectives convinced that Princess Doe had Long Island connections. In 1999, Donna Kinlaw also told police that she believed her husband was responsible for the murder of a teenager who had been discovered in a cemetery in Blairstown, New Jersey. She said that she remembered Arthur bringing a teen to their home in Islip, New York, that summer in 1982. Later, Arthur and the teen left the house, but only Arthur returned home. And when he did, he was visibly shaken. Two weeks later, Donna was reading a news article about Princess Doe, out loud to her husband, who in turn kept asking questions like, do they know who killed her? Weeks later, he confessed to his wife that he was responsible for the murder and he used it against her. Donna said, quote, he told me if I didn't go to work, he would do to me what he did to the other girl. In the middle of the arguing, I said, well, what did you do to the other girl? He said, I'll take your life just like I took hers. Donna could not provide police with the name of the victim, but she did provide a physical description, which was used to create a composite sketch of Princess Doe. This sketch was also distributed to see if anyone could identify her. Police at this time had enough to believe they most likely had Princess Doe's murderer and he was already serving time, but it would be another 23 years before Princess Doe was identified. Arthur Kinlaw, now 69 years old in 2022, has been charged with the first degree murder of Don Olenick, and faces life behind bars if convicted. Officials have every intention of prosecuting him. More details are sure to come but police now believe that Cedar Ridge Cemetery in Blairstown was a location that Kinlaw selected at random.
1: It was 40 years ago today that a teenage girl was found murdered in a Blairstown cemetery for 40 years. No one knew her name or her killer, but that changed today.
0: Not much is known about Dawn's life at this time. Reportedly, her mother passed away in 1992 and her father in 2017. There are no details on whether or not Dawn was ever reported missing or why nobody came forward to identify her, but members of her family told detectives that they never gave up hope that they would find her. During a press conference announcing Dawn's identity, one of her cousins spoke on behalf of the family, saying they all missed her dearly these folks behind me. Uh, I'd like to,
1: on behalf of uh, the family, and my cousin Lynn, who is Dawn's sister, uh, Dawn was also uh, my cousin as well, and I was 13 years old as well. We, we miss a deal and on behalf of the family, we'd like to really thank uh, Blastown Police Department, New Jersey State Troopers, uh, uh, Warren County, Union County, for their unrelenting time they put in this cold case. I'd also like to thank the original detective or lieutenant of this case, Eric Krantz, who's sitting in the back. I want to thank you very much for your due diligence in this case and never giving up. Uh, also, Steven Spears is in here. I want to thank him as well, never giving up. And these two fine detectives sit in front of us, Matt McConville and uh, Scott and Bowden. I want to really thank you for all the hard work you guys put in this case. I come from a law enforcement background as well, so I know a lot of times these these uh, cases can go uh, to the side. But apparently, Town gave it their all and never gave up. We were greatly appreciative of that.
0: They look forward to putting her name and photo on her gravestone. Of course, forensics is truly what gave Dawn her name back, but that was only possible with the driving force of cold case workers, investigators, and a community of people that never gave up. And remember Anne, the nurse that told police she had seen a girl matching Princess Doe's description in the A&P? Right before this episode was set to be published, I connected with her. And what was it like as a member of the community, finally after 40 years, finding out Princess Doe's name, that she was Dawn
2: Olenek? Well, I wasn't afraid of any more of anybody maybe um, recognizing me and and thinking that um that I would recognize them, uh, the perpetrator and so and i was I was really happy that you know, for her family that they found out who she was. Now, do you want me to tell you how everything happened? I was sure. Sure. Okay, uh, I was in the A.M.P. Um, supermarket across from the cemetery where she was found, and I was with my daughter. I was off work that day. I think it was a Thursday, and um, she was standing at the at the counter ready to check out. But I didn't even notice she had anything in her hands. But her skirt was beautiful, and my daughter said oh, mommy, mommy, is that an eagle? So I said, no, that's a that's a peacock. And uh, I was just about ready to ask her where she got the skirt because it was so pretty. And a little kid came walking by with a little plastic shopping cart. And I looked over and I said, oh, she's so cute. And by the time I turned around, the girl with the skirt was gone. So then I checked out. And then um, when we checked out, the girl the same girl was standing in the front with a small um, paper bag package it was like a cigarettes or something it was very small and then I, i just never saw her again and the next sunday or saturday i guess it was saturday or sunday i was working in the hospital and one of the doctors was reading the newspaper and he said oh um how appropriate someone was found dead in the cemetery." I didn't think anything of it, and I got home and I got the newspaper and there is they had made a mannequin without a head and with her clothing on it and and they were looking for people to to find out if we had seen her so i had and i the next day I went down to the police station and i i didn't I was trying to whisper because the police station was very crowded. And I was trying to say that I had seen her, and I left my name, and nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. So about a year later, um, there was a thing in the newspaper that said, if you know anything about Princess Doe, please call us. So I did, and then I went, and I was working at a school, and um, some uh, detective in this real cool like young kid's car, um, picks me up after I decide that I would be hypnotized. So he picks me up at the school, and my principal let me out. He said, oh, it's a civic duty. You can go out for that. And I was hypnotized, and I don't think anything ever came of that at uh, And I called the detective the next day and I said, you know, I remember some of the things that I said and I don't think I'm supposed to remember. So I'm not sure I was really hypnotized, fully hypnotized. So we just left it like that. And then I was very scared for a lot of years because I thought, you know, I hear rumors and everything. And we had all these memorials for her up in Blairstown at the cemetery. So I was just afraid that somebody might have that killed her might have seen me and and would try to get me because they think I could identify him. But so I was scared all those years. Um and and then I was just really happy that when they found out who she was. I mean I was very sad, but I was also happy that her parents knew.
0: It must have been an incredible day for, for you and for the residents that essentially adopted her as their own, you know, yeah. and kept, kept her grave, you know, clean and brought flowers. And, and it must have been a little bit of a relief for you to, to know that her killer is behind bars already.
2: Oh, it's a big relief. It's a big relief. Well, I, he was a criminal anyway. I, you know, he, I guess he had a record. Yes but it was just just so so sad it was and i couldn't believe that i you know i just saw her the day before and i remember it had rained real hard i guess this saturday it had rained real hard one of those days no it was friday it had rained real hard and so i was surprised that they got any information from her right from her body What's
0: interesting about, you know, when you when you're doing true crime and you're and you're reading about true crime and we don't think very much about sometimes the witnesses and the people who give a statement and and sort of the fear they might feel. So you, you were probably didn't realize it at the time how how brave it was to give that statement.
2: Well, one of them asked if my daughter could be hypnotized. Mm-hmm. She was young. And they said, Oh, you know, sometimes kids will pick up a lot more. And I th- thought, no, I, I don't want her to be hematized. You know, it would be traumatic for her. Sure. sure. So so I didn't. And maybe she would have given us more clues, but I just didn't want her to go through that. Sure. You're being mama bear. Yeah.
0: Understandable. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you, Anne. Well, thank you, Dawn. Here is today's call to action. If you have any information about the identities of the following, please check the show notes for how to contact authorities. Sussex County Jane Doe, murdered by Arthur Kinlaw in 1983, was a black female between the age of 25 and 45, 5'7 foot 7 and 300 pounds. Linda met the Kinlaws at the Blackberry Jam Club in Bayshore, New York. Her body was found in the East River off Hunts Point on May 3rd, 1984. She was dressed in a blouse and jeans and had short black hair. She was probably of Italian-American origin and may have lived with her grandmother in either Brentwood or Bayshore, Long Island. And finally, missing person Diane Dye ran away from her home in San Jose, California in 1979 at age 13. Thank you for listening to Method and Madness. This is an independent podcast. If you'd like to show your support, you can leave a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. It makes the show more visible for new listeners. I'm on Twitter at MethodPod and on Instagram at method and MethodAndMadnessPod. There's a Method and Madness page on Facebook as well. To chat or discuss the episode, reach out to me at MethodAndMadnessPod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is research written and hosted by me. It is sound edited by Mo and Spo. That's it for this week. Until next time, take care of yourself. For crisis support, text HELLO to 741-741.